Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I made the train Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and I wanted to play some of my favorite episodes for you all. And this one was recorded with Lin-Manuel Miranda before he became a known national treasure. Um, he's best known for Hamilton. He also did In the Heights. He's currently composing the music for Little Mermaid. He did Moana and so much more. He's also an actor, a writer, and part of Freestyle Love Supreme, which is members of Freestyle Love Supreme make up EOTM's house band. And this is a natural segue to say that our next show is at the Bell House, which is where this interview was recorded with Lynn. And part of the reason I wanted to share this interview was because he talks about composing political ads. That was one of his day jobs. And I think it's, uh, it's relevant for the times. Without further ado, the one and only Lynn Manuel Miranda. Um, when is it appropriate for someone to say things like, and now welcome Lynn Manuel Miranda when they are as white as snow? Oh, if you can pronounce it, it's fair game. I, I go by Lynn to most of my white friends because I can't stand the word manual and me in the same they sentence. They call you Lynn Emanuel, right? L- or Lynn Manuel, and I just think this instantly. Oh, that makes sense. For your podcast listeners, yeah, I'm you, making a jacking try? off motion. I decided because you are such a huge hit on Broadway, just to and because people fuck up your name, to just say that I would make you an honorary member of the tribe, Lynn Emanuel Mirandenberg. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Happy Sukkot. For outstanding ser- service to Jews, gays, and gay Jews. <laughs> Fantastic. My audience. That's your audience, right? On yes. Broadway? That's the Broadway audience. So I want to hear about your overnight success, which started when you were in college at a small school in Middletown, Connecticut. Indeed. We- Wesleyan University, of which you are also an alum. I was going to bring you a rape whistle. Um, and we were going to take back the night like Justin Timberlake? Yes. <laughs> So tell me, tell me a little bit about that. You started writing in the Heights. In yeah, some I actually I started writing musicals in high school, and I have to tell you that our amazing uh, singer keyboardist Arthur Lewis, I've known him since third grade, and he was my Tony in West Side Story when I directed it senior year in high school, and he was in my first musical called Nightmare in D Major, which wasn't pretentious at all. <laughs> And, um, and so, yeah, I, I wrote 20-minute musicals in high school, and my first full-length musical was In the Heights, and I wrote it my sophomore year in college. It obviously, immediately right after, went straight onto Broadway. <laughs> no, not even close. So what, what happened in between? Um, a, a couple of things. So it was originally sort of this 80-minute one-act show. It was my closest attempt at a, at a full-length show, and... Um, Two kids who were seniors at the time um, saw the show. They actually watched it from the lighting booth because they were on tech crew. It was Neil Stewart and John Mailer, who is Norman Mailer's youngest son of the billion kids Norman Mailer had. Well, yeah, so he saw it and he said, Lynn, because he actually looks like young Norman. He was like, Lynn, 
We're going to take this to Broadway. And um, I said, okay, we're having a keg party at Home Avenue. And, um, and I sort of put the script in a drawer for two years, but they got in touch with me when I graduated. And they were very resourceful. They, they took the basement of the drama bookshop and converted it into a black box theater. Um, and so they had this sort of home base and a uh, little black box theater in the middle of Midtown. And so I met with them the week after I graduated. I met Tommy Kale for the first time, who had formed the company with them. And went on to be a director for you? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he kind of approached me. He had the script and a recording of it and sort of came at me. He's like sort of the smartest guy in whatever room he's in, and he kind of came at me with... Okay, it's really great, but In Washington Heights is a, is a welcome to the world song, and it's your third number, and it should be first. And Usnavi is great, but he's, he's only in two scenes, and he would be a great narrator, because all the stories pass through his store. So why don't you have him be the narrator, and he could have that song be first? And I was like, hi, I'm Lynn, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, but he was, um, he was really smart, and all of his ideas were really good, and so we sort of started having a conversation on how to make the show better, and that conversation went on for six more years. And then how did it get onto Broadway? Um, we, we, we did readings in practice, the basement. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah, we did readings in the basement of that bookshop. The first year was sort of the best version of what I could write by myself. I learned I don't know how to write dialogue really well. Um, it, was, it was becoming this operetta. It was becoming a pseudo-rent in the bad ways. Like, you know what? You could just say that. You could just say that instead of singing it. And we, um, candy bar wrapper. And, um, and so we, um, we, we went about looking for a book writer and we found Kiara, who had just graduated from Brown and went on to win the Pulitzer Prize for her amazing plays. She was sort of the missing piece and then we all worked for another four years together once she came on board. So that's overnight success. It's actually eight years. Right. <laughs> and so then you have your first Broadway production... And you get nominated for how many Oscar? Oh, so Oscars? Tony, sorry. That's okay. I already feel less than because you demoted okay, me. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but we, we got nominated for 13 Tonys, and we took home four, which was nice, including the big one. And that was, that was really necessary because it was, you know, we were the Latin hip-hop musical, and, you know... You're... Which are a dime a dozen on Broadway, let's be real. <laughs> Which are a dime a dozen and, and really make the old Jewish ladies who spend money on tickets want to go to theater. They go, I, I, I hate rap, but I love this. <laughs> we needed them to say that, <laughs> to, to have a successful run, and they, and they loved it, thank goodness. And one of your admirers is Stephen Sondheim, and you guys are close collaborators now, and you've um, done two things together, and he's put you in stuff. Do you like G-chat with Stephen Sondheim? <laughs> no, but you know what? I do send him any Sondheim-related internet things that happen. So there was an article. There was... Um, there was a BuzzFeed article about an ice cream man in Queens that plays Send in the Clowns. It's like the only truck, and it's like you can tell someone programmed it by hand, and it's like... So I send that to him. I said, you're making people in Queens very sad. And, and he emailed me back two sentences. He said, this is very upsetting. Thank you. <laughs> And you don't know quite how to take that, but, you know, I, I send him all of that stuff. I'm, I'm the annoying young guy who's like, look at this thing that happened to you. <laughs> I probably bother him a lot. Um, what was it like 
starring in one of his shows when it's not something you've written, it's not something you've created? I mean, that was the really fun thing. I did this uh, production of Merrily We Roll Along for, for encores. Um, and again, I played a Jewish guy. I played Charlie Kringus. And, um, You're stealing all the parts from the Jews. I am. I am. It's an Ashanda. It's Ashanda. And, and, and we really actually... It's, um, it's a whole other thing. You know, we had 10 days to rehearse, um, and it's the hardest music I've ever learned in my life. And we, ha- we did our own typewriter stunts. There's a song called Opening Doors where you're singing and playing typewriter percussion at the same time. And that's all I did. I mean, all I remember is every lunch break, from, didn't sleep, just typewriter, typewriter stunt work. Um, and it was, it was the most stressful and joyous sort of experience of my life. And I got to know him in a different way because, you know, when... You know, when I did the translations for West Side Story, it was just sort of like, hey, kid, don't fuck it up. That's how you guys met, was that you're doing the Spanish translation for yeah. West Side Story. Yeah, and he said, just make it rhyme in the same place and, and don't fuck it up. Um, Which is obviously so easy, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, it was really hard. But, but acting in a show, you get this sort of whole other access, because he's also, that show is about... Um, a composing team and about a friendship coming apart. So it's a very personal show to him. So, you know, I got 10 more anecdotes about sort of these lives and what they're based on and sort of his experience growing up, you know, being in Tin Pan Alley Land and sort of trying to get these shows on and doing backers auditions and the success and failure. I mean, it's, it's a really amazing thing he's documenting in that show. During this time, you're taking all kinds of odd jobs, including uh, doing bar mitzvahs. I did. I I lost a good chunk of my dignity. I have none left. Dan, I was the guy in the black satin shirt that got paid a hundred bucks per bar or bat mitzvah to like get kids and old ladies to dance. Like they come with entertainment <laughs> groups where they're like, "Rachel, you're a woman now. Who's your friend?" Um, <laughs> and and you know you learn you know when you're a theater major you learn a lot of skills that will not do you any good. But one of the things you learn is mask work and how like you can kind of have a new identity with a mask. There was a bar mitzvah where we had. <laughs> where we had to wear carnival masks. And so I'm in my black satin shirt and my black pants, like with a mask on doing carnival. And I got groped by more old Jewish ladies. Like it was like, it took my identity away. And we were like, this is, they were like, this is property. We can touch this. And I got fully molested by like old ladies at Rachel's bat mitzvah in Syosset. So I have no shame. And I think I left most of it at Rachel's bat mitzvah in Syosset. Speaking of feeling violated, you also wrote... <laughs> what a segue! <laughs> you wrote the lyrics for robocalls uh, from various politicians. You, you've actually... Uh, I wanted to hear about that because you also did theme music for so many wonderful politicians. I think Spitzer was one of them. I Fernando did. Ferrer. So, so my dad works in politics. He's just finished Thompson's campaign and that's fully over as of yesterday. And so I was sort of the cheap in-house music and, and I paid my rent by writing, like, my dad would call me, and he would be like, I need 30 seconds of smooth jazz for a Sharpton radio spot. <laughs> um, to be fair, and I would write 30 Lynn, seconds of Lynn, smooth jazz. to be fair, jazz. your dad uses a, a Bluetooth. Right? Yeah, and he has a Bluetooth in his ear at all times. He's that <laughs> asshole. He's the guy like, and I need, and Spitzer, it needs to be Latin, but not to, Hello? And like midway through, he's talking to someone else and you have no idea because he's got the Bluetooth in. 
So I wrote music for Spitzer's first gubernatorial campaign. I wrote for Hillary's Senate campaign. Um, and all of this sort of just like general background uplift music. The fun ones to write are the ones where the negative ads, because they'll be like, you know, it's just, you just literally have to put like your hand on a minor chord with strings. So it's like, it's like, I, I don't know, uh, Mark Green thinks. Latinos should jump in the river. <laughs> no thanks, Mark. Freddie Ferrer. Da, 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 and half of it is like actually in the Heights music that I just threw in <laughs> um, for 15 seconds. But it's just hand on a minor chord. Mark Green thinks babies should be registered. No thanks, Mark Green. <laughs> it's really easy work. And now you are a famous, famous rock star, it feels like, in um, Puerto Rico, where you even have a bodyguard? I do. I'm usher in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Here I take the F train like all of y'all. Um, but in, I, I, just, I shot a, uh, an indie movie two years ago that just opened last weekend, and I had to go do press for it, and I am straight up usher there. Um, and and like, I get attacked at the Starbucks, and like, people come after, like, paparazzi know where I am, and they come take pictures of me when I come out of places. Um, and it's, but it's like only on one island. It's like Prince in the Park. Like, I go visit, and people go, ah! And then I come back here and, and get really drunk on rum and coke with you. I am going to give you um, a little gift because I was so happy that you came here all the way from Inwood, which for those of you who don't know is past Philadelphia on the A train. And it's just a map of Brooklyn and a cliff bar. And I put it in a Park Slope co-op bag that you get to carry home even though you're not a member. Thank you. Um, and I was going to ask because you are a phenomenal uh, freestyle rapper and I know that one of the reasons Stephen Sondheim has said that he so admires you is that you've always been so respectful and admiring of what is musical theater but also completely created your own voice and part of that is your unbelievable ability to think on your feet and improvise and I was wondering if you and Arthur might want to do something together for old time's sake oh yeah so I wrote this musical um, my, my senior year in high school called Seven Minutes in Heaven. What and is that it is about? Uh, it's about your first unchaperoned party in middle school. And um, the first halfway good song I ever wrote was this, this song. It was called Beverly Song, and it was Beverly going to her first um, unchaperoned party. And I thought, Arthur's here, and Arthur was around for it, so Arthur could sing it, and I'll play it. Um, you can hear a song I wrote when I was 17 years old. I did not play Beverly in high school, for the record. All right, let's welcome Lin-Manuel and Arthur Lewis. Um, can I tell the story of how I met Arthur Lewis real quick? So there was a rumor in third grade that... Um, <laughs> there was a rumor in third grade that there was a kid who could spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. But he was in the other class, and I found him in the cafeteria, and I said, hey, I hear you can spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And he looked up fully, like, without guile, without snarkiness, and said, backwards or forwards? <laughs> That's a true story. And I said, backwards, of course, and he did it. Anyway, this is, uh, this is Beverly's song. I can see how much my face has grown 
Is this what I'll look like when I'm old? Cause it's kind of strange about to change. There is a party tonight. Amy hired a DJ to come and play. And I've been feeling sick inside all day. I wish Amy's parents hadn't gone away. Cause everyone's acting crazy. Sixth grade, everything was very clear. You guys go play, we're fine right over here. But suddenly, we're interested in what they have to say. They're just as stupid as they were last year. That's not entirely true. Last week in Mr. Haig's class, Justin Gomez turned and smiled at me. I just froze and smiled back sheepishly, turning crimson red, the blood rushing to my head. I thought to myself, oh God, my stomach feels strange and my palms are all sweaty and gross. My reflection is changing And I wonder if I look this scared up close Cause I am afraid I don't know what to make of seventh grade I don't know what to make of seventh grade That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Rob Schulte, Nora Lynn, ACAST. And if you enjoyed the episode, please leave a nice review on iTunes. Either way, I hope you are enjoying your summer and uh, hopefully not writing really terrible <laughs> political ads. But I thought that was fascinating, right? Mark Green says, throw a baby in the water. Don't throw a baby in the water. Well, if you do, at least make sure that she or he has floaties on, and now I've already binaried the baby. It's like we don't even let them grow into who they should be. They can be whoever they want. Let the baby go in the water, but just remember the floaties. And I will remember to talk to you next week. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.